The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. CIO Talk Radio is sponsored by HP Data Center Services, Cloud Computing Services, and Workplace 360 Services. Are you ready for an instant-on world? Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Here's Sunjo Gall. Good morning and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Today's topic is holding a mirror up to IT, and our guests for today's show are Ross Westcott, who is the chief IT auditor with the Portland General Electric Company, and is also the member of ISACA's credentialing board, and ISACA stands for Information Systems Audit and Control Association. Morning, Ross. How are you? Good morning, Sanjo. So how is life going there? Uh, pretty well. It's uh, early morning, but I'm up and raring to go. Beautiful. Now, that's what the true professional does in today's day and age, right? <laughs> that's right. And I also have Walter Weir, who is the CIO with the University of Nebraska. Good morning, Walter. How are you doing? Good morning, Sanjo. Good to talk to you. Good to have you again back at the sh- on the show here. Now, uh, the topic that we picked today, um, as we were talking before the show started, we always see in the world out there that we want to have the agility and predictability and everything else that could potentially be brought in terms of value creation uh, all at one place. And, yes, it's a tough task for anyone who's involved. Now, when we, we are truly trying to run at 100 miles an hour, do you think we should even attempt to do something like this? Because either we will slow down or we will make more mistakes than what we were trying to prevent earlier. So, Ross, what do you think is, is a good mindset to have in today's new normal? Well, uh, that's a good question, and uh, running at 100 miles an hour is something that most businesses are asking IT departments to do nowadays. And one of the things that, that help, in, in my opinion, that help IT departments run that fast are the standard, standards and benchmarks that, uh, that the associations and, and the world out there puts out there. Now, sometimes IT departments think that standards and benchmarks would slow them down, um, but that's, they are there to help IT departments actually run fast. It's kind of like when you're learning to ride a bicycle. You, you start out with training wheels and you're going really slowly, uh, when you're going slowly, uh, if something jumps into your way like your little brother, uh, you have a, enough chance to correct your course and, and not run over your little brother. Uh, eventually, you run out of the training wheels and you want to go faster. So let's say you upgrade to a, a really fast motorcycle. Well, now when you're riding a motorcycle, you have to have safety equipment. You have to have rules of the road. And if you lose focus, you might crash and burn, which would not necessarily be good for you. 
Well, the, the same can be said for IT departments who are asked to go very fast as they support the business. Uh, similar to attention and focus and safety equipment on a motorcycle traveling at a high rate of speed, our standards and benchmarks help IT to maneuver around obstacles, uh, see things that might hurt them soon enough to make a correction, and actually finish the race in one piece. Uh, with standards, IT actually becomes more agile and more capable. In, in my mind, the faster IT is asked to go, the more uh, standards and governance is needed. So, Walter, do you think the, the the misconception or the preconceived notion that benchmarks and standards slow you down, is it a proven empirical data-based deduction or inference, or is it something that people who are just plain paranoid or don't like structure and just want to do things in a free, willy way are the ones who are making that noise? Uh, I think there are parts of truth to all of that. Uh, my role as CIO is to make sure that the applications we are providing, the uh, data we're providing is correct. And, you know, it's, I, when I thought of this issue of going 100 miles an hour, I said, well, either you're speeding or you're not speeding. I mean, there are rules and there are things you have to abide by as part of being uh, in this business. And if we go too fast and if we don't do things correctly and following some sort of rules, we may get it done quickly, but it may not be correct. And it, I have questions about have we tested what we're doing properly? Has it gone through the uh, technology stack correctly? Have we documented what we're doing? So if we have to go back and figure out why the answer wasn't correct, we have at least a, a mechanism to do that. And I'm always worried about creating some sort of a security hole somewhere by trying to do things too quickly. So the whole spectrum, everything from making sure we've got good requirements and good detailed specifications as best we can, working with our customers in a normal process with good project management uh, behind it will produce a product that is worthy of our efforts and not a product that's going to have to be reworked several times. So, Walter, do you think you are a true representation of the majority out there when it comes to abiding by the true standards in terms of whether it's a due diligence? Before the initiative starts or during the initiative is underway, uh, the guidelines and benchmarks and standards are closely followed. You know, the question is closely. What is closely? And, and we try and get as close as we can. I mean, we're probably not perfect. And when we have an audit, we'll be informed of not being perfect. But uh, I think most people in this business, at least at the CIO level, are very concerned about this. And, and if, if and when you do have an audit. Now, I mentioned uh, we just this morning, by happen chance, our state auditor is here for two weeks uh, looking into our financial management system and our student information system. And uh, it wasn't anticipated when you and I talked about this show, but I will tell you that they have provided uh, some very good information, and you can have very good productive conversations with an auditor that it's not a threatening kind of thing, but are helpful uh, hints and things you can do to make your business run better. But like I say, uh, at the end of the day, uh, we have to make sure that what we're providing is the correct answer, the, the, the real truth of what's happening, uh, we don't want to have to come back and, and redo work that we should have done correctly the first time because that's what kills you. So, Ross, in your experience as you deal with, of course, your organization and also that the fact that you're on ISACA's board, right. uh, you must be coming across quite a few organizations where CIOs are truly concerned. However, it has not really resulted or translated into specific actions to the degree that 
which, which would be to satisfaction of an auditor that they are really crossing every T and dotting every I because they have a, a, a double-edged sword here. Damn, if I do this thing, then it's going to slow me down and I'm going to lose my job. Or if I don't, then I'll have failures or more unpredictable results and then I'll lose my job. Well, I, I am sure that some CIOs think that way. But my job as an auditor is, uh, yes, I have to make sure all the stakeholders are satisfied. But one of the stakeholders is the CIO. And to the extent that I can help that CIO succeed, then that's part of my job. Yeah, we have standards and things that we measure them against to make sure that they're doing the best they can do. But... Um, it's usually not a, a life and death situation where they're going to lose their job if they don't follow every standard to the T. Yeah, so so the, they care about the result, and this is kind of means to an end. Do you think this means to an end is seen more of an overhead? Um, uh, some companies, maybe yes. It it all depends. Uh, depends on the industry. Depends on the company. If you're a really small company and uh, upholding standards or doing things is going to cost more than it's worth, then, then certainly one has to tailor uh, one's operations to that. But uh, I think standards and benchmarks and, and the guidelines that come out are really there to help the CIO succeed. Now, uh Walter, when you look at the organization, the way uh, these standards and structures are kept, when the, and, and the organizations also morph, when new leaders coming, new people coming, do you think uh, this whole whole uh, paradigm, or uh, not exactly paradigm, but the structured approach of doing it, is people independent, or the level of compliance increases or decreases as more leaders and or doers? transit or, or in, in and outflow of uh, such people happens in the organizations? Yeah, it's, it's probably a combination of both. Um, you know, we, we do have some of our programmers will get tremendous pressure from their counterparts on the functional side, you know, to make sure things get done. But I, I, I tend to agree that you have to have a process. I was very much a non-project management shop a few years ago. And there was a lot of push. We were doing some ITIL stuff and, and things like that, looking at our whole process or, or the organization and the processes around it. And I've embraced uh, two things. I embrace portfolio management and I embrace project management as two very key uh, things that we've entered into that have really benefited us in the long run. Uh, we're now finding that even though when we started they were a little cumbersome and they took some additional time to get started, develop your charter, you know, work out your, your, your business plan, what have you. At the end of the day, uh, we had enough good checkpoints going through the process so that, again, when we were finished, what we delivered worked, worked properly, it was documented, it, it didn't have any security holes in it. And, and as a consequence, as we've gone through audits over the years, uh, we're finding less, they're finding less and less issues with us in terms of the work that we do. Um, now, as new people come in, obviously you've got to, you know, bring them into that uh, way of thinking about things, but for the most part, uh, everybody's come on board pretty well. Now, um, Ross, in your world, when you look at this, uh, when you suppose put uh, 100 guidelines in or standards or benchmarks based on whatever framework you're using, 
what is the degree of compliance that you see people typically get to? Are they typically 100, zero or nothing, or they're typically, say, 80% or less? How, how, have, you, have, you, have you, as an organization, as ISACA, and in your profession, have you tried to benchmark that part? Well, it, it's certainly not zero. I, I think that would be a dead IT department if, if they just were freewheeling and just did what they wanted and didn't even follow what their, their counterparts were doing. And 100%? No, probably not. Uh, it is definitely somewhere in between, but I can't say whether it's 80, 90, 70. It, it really all depends. Well, one of the things and distinctions we have to make is that uh, standards and benchmarks provide the, the what. You know, you, you need to, uh, for example, you need to have your strategy matching the business strategy. You need to have some sort of security in place, and you have to have some monitoring going on. So that those uh, those frameworks are put in place. Now, where it gets different from company to company is how they implement that. And as an auditor, I am I'm really much more flexible on the how than I am on the the what. So I think most CIOs and IT departments really uh, in today's business do a lot of the what, and, and they're doing it pretty well. And from company to company, it's the how they do that that will be different and we have to look and see how if if the how is really working well now for example you went and took a snapshot of a department today and and based on where they are doing what as well as how you find that they come say close to 80% let's take that as a baseline and the fact that they are asked and called upon to do something totally radically different, which will require them to rip apart a few areas of their department in terms of processes and or people, etc. What type of a dip do you see or what you should expect in terms of the compliance? Would it go down or they will actually make the changes, again, bring back those same controls and bring it back to 80% based on the maturity that they are used to? What have, what have, what have we seen when there is a disruption, not at status quo snapshotting? Uh, well, I've definitely seen a dip. You know, that, that would happen no matter what change occurs. Great, great change brings quite often great uncertainty. And in departments that go through, let's say, for example, a huge reorganization, people aren't exactly sure what they're doing today compared to what they did yesterday. So they tend to be a little bit more complacent. They may be even come more hyper vigilant, but yet not yet know how to operate fully and with full function in an organization. So, uh, by nature, there is a certain amount of, of dip in compliance and in operations when, uh, when that change happens. So, yeah, I've seen that. All right, let's take a quick break. Listeners, when we come back, uh, Walter, a question for you would be is if you were given a choice to uh, implement these standards and frameworks and also compare with or without them or less or more of a, uh, controls and frameworks put in place, can you match that to essential improvement in IT efficiency, effectiveness, and overall value creation. Is that even possible? Is it done today? And if we want to, is there a way to do so? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back.
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We live in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. We live in an instant on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Walter, how do you think we can tie investment in IT uh, audits, basically not IT audits, but in terms of putting your frameworks and structure and compliance-related uh, mandates in place, and how does that impact positively or negatively on your efficiency, improvement, and effectiveness in the value creation? Well, you know, one of the things that I, I found here is that our board receives audit reports on how we're doing. And they're very concerned that we are in compliance with whatever the auditor believes we should be in compliance with based on all sorts of criteria. And so that's one of the things we always have to be aware of. And one of the things I try to do all the time is to talk to senior administrators in the university. And I'm fortunate I report to the president, which gives me a seat at the table, which I think is also important. But in the process of doing that, they're looking for value. And the value can be the work you produce and the accuracy of the data you produce, and it could be uh, value in terms of cost. Uh, I happen to believe that that following a good compliance environment, uh, abiding by rules of project management and some of the other uh, benchmarks we operate under, uh, we're able to tell a very good story. Uh, as a consequence, I've not really had my budget cut uh, because we have demonstrated that we can produce good work within the time frame and the parameters. And I'm abiding by, uh, as Ross said, I'm not saying I'm 100% uh, in compliance, but I'm probably in the 90 range uh, for a lot of the things that the auditors are interested in. So, uh, Ross, in your world, do you think you can uh, find the reason why many, or actually I would say most companies do not go through this proper formal audit type of, uh, you know, due diligence and or grilling, if you will, in a, in a, in a frequent, on a frequent basis so that they are shown the mirror, not always that they are trying to poke holes, but essentially even if they're doing good at some, good in something, in some, some areas, they at least get to know about that. Why is there an aversion overall 
to actually having audit as a part of the very functioning of IT department? Well, I, I think there's a misnomer that any any department with audit in its name translates to the Internal Revenue Service. Now, this is not to diss the IRS. They have a job and they have their world. But the the other audit parts uh, are not that stringent IRS look and compliance and are out to get you. And I think it's, it's um, for, well, for one, people don't like you looking over their shoulder because they're afraid that you're going to find something wrong and it's going to affect their job and they may be fired. And so it's this fear, underlying fear, that, oh, my, I'm going to get caught. Uh, but it's really not my job as an auditor to do that. My job, as I said earlier, is to help them succeed. And uh, another part of my job is to help convince them that that's my purpose, that I'm not there to see that they lose their job, but I'm there to make sure that they, they do it better. So it, it's that fear that generally keeps people away from that audit term. No, Walter. Uh, one of the things that uh, I was thinking about as Ross was talking is, and this may be heresy, but uh, I think audits should be welcomed. And there are many different types of audits. There's security audits, there's performance audits, process audits, risk audits, I mean, depending how you want to do this. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, you don't have necessarily have the auditor there to, as Ross said, look over your shoulder and report to somebody. They can come in and actually help you. Uh, which I think is always good. You know, sometimes I've equated the IT shop as the shoemaker's kids. Uh, we're so busy taking care of everybody else that we never have time to take care of ourselves. Right. And sometimes an auditor can come in and say, hey, look, you know, uh, we need to refocus here because you need to work on this area and, and take some positive actions because, uh, you know, your folks are not uh, documenting the code properly or they're not doing something properly, and you need to go fix that. Uh, so I actually think, uh, in many respects, they can be good. Uh, one advice I would give is if you're a new CIO, I would invite an auditor in right away and say, give me a health check on how this organization is functioning as necessary uh, in conformance with acceptable rules and practices. So, and, so and that's been my experience when, when my company got a new CIO about five years ago. Uh, actually, within the first two weeks, he and I went out to lunch and we had a chance to talk about my role and my function and what I could and actually what I could not do for him. And I think that, that set us off on the right foot and it helped build that, uh, what I think is critical in audit, and that's the relationship and trust between the auditor and the CIO. And that took it off on the right foot and, and we've been going great ever since. Absolutely. Now, both of you mentioned about situations where when a CIO is coming into an organization, definitely it will help him or her to poke holes into anything that's not right so that they can get a, a snapshot and then they can build upon it. But right. when it's, it's business as usual and it's an ongoing working, then it looks like that barring security audit, which typically a CIO is not held responsible for truly that you created a breach and that's more like a technical uh, insight that they're getting. Uh, an overall audit would be almost 
misconstrued or interpreted as somebody's trying to see how am I doing and they don't trust me or other things. And perhaps that's why, or, or, or perhaps it's going to open up a can of worms, which I might have hidden and or would not know about. So it's easy to, to poke holes into somebody else's work, which was done in the past versus what you're doing today. How can we have these IT leaders start feeling a little more comfortable about this process so that it happens? They are told about what may be going wrong, not necessarily because of you, and also build confidence in the eyes of executive management for the CIO so that they can really get a seat at the table. Ross, what do you think is possible uh, in, 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 this, in this regard? Well, what's possible is that um, I try not to delve too much into the past. Now, a new CIO coming in really needs to understand what happened in the past because really he's inheriting that. Whatever happened in the past is going to affect his future, but it gives him more information that he cannot maybe step on the same landmines that the predecessor stepped on. And I think, you know, I, I mentioned it before, and, and I can't emphasize it enough that it's that between the auditor and the CIO or IT management and even IT staff, there's a, there's a trust factor and the relationship factor that that is so critical to build. Not that you become best buddies and are going on vacations together. I, I wouldn't suggest that. But certainly if the CIO trusts the auditor, then when the auditor brings maybe less than stellar information to him, he's going to trust that it's right, and really the auditor has his back, and he's going to go ahead and act on that. So, so I, I think it's that, that relationship uh, and trust is, is really key to moving forward and having success in the future independent of what happened in the past. So, Walter, let's take you as a representative of a progressive CIO, and perhaps we'll take another uh, example where that person may not have been able to do the job right. And if you get to hear from your executive management that we would like to call upon an IT audit to see how things are going, what do you think would be your natural uh, gut feel and or what will go in your mind as a progressive CIO and then also not as a progressive CIO? Well, as a progressive CIO, I think I would welcome it in the sense of can I learn something from that that I maybe didn't know or didn't appreciate. Um, I'm seeing more and more of that uh, Nebraska now being part of the Big Ten. Uh, one of the things that the Big Ten CIOs are doing is they're working together to, to actually form teams uh, from the various uh, schools and They'll go to a particular campus and, and, and oversee their operation. Again, from a proactive, how can we help perspective audit versus the more, uh, as, as Ross talked about, the IRS audit, you know, we're in here looking for something. Uh, so I think there's some real value thinking at it as a progressive CIO. But I also think, you know, there's still this, uh, Ross used, I think used the word best, uh, and, and we're not trying to say anything bad about the IRS, but you know, uh, that model is they're coming in, uh, we've warned you we're coming, we're coming, and we're going to find something wrong, and we're going to tell your bosses about it, and you may have your head handed to you. So you're probably not going to be too enthralled about that approach. But I think as a CIO, and, and, and Ross hit it right on the head, there has to be that relationship built between the audit staff and the IT staff working together. We're all in this together. We're all trying to do things the right way and, and do it the best way. 
We don't want to produce bad stuff. We don't want to open up doors for potential fraud or misuse or all those other things that uh, an, an audit can find if you're not abiding by the rules. And uh, as long as we're doing our best to abide by the rules and, and, and trying to stay on the right and, and straight path, I think things will work out for the, for the better in the end. So how do you, how do you uh, basically explain the fact that most organizations, private sector, public sector will have to go through audits, but private sector organizations do not go for an audit? Do you, would, would that lead us to uh, believe that most CIOs are not progressive? or they don't have an IT audit organization that can really have a good relationship with them, or the executive management doesn't care about its IT enough for it to call upon an IT to understand and get a third-party view? It's an interesting question. I think, you know, from the public sector side, we are we go on, we undergo these on an annual basis. Yes. But uh, from the private sector, and I'm not saying I know a lot about that, but on the private sector, I think the bottom line is, you know, are you getting the work done? You know, senior management wants to know, are you getting the work done? Are you doing what we want you to do? And uh, do I have any lawsuits that I'm, I'm potentially going to face because, you know, you opened up the back door, there was a breach of security or something along that line, or, we, or you know, we had a patent infringement? Uh, I get a lot of stuff, for example, on copyright where the record and um, motion picture organizations are constantly looking for us to, uh, not allow students to download film and music and all those kinds of things. And so it's not necessarily an area of audit from the standpoint of the state, but it is also something that I try and find mechanisms with the auditor as how do we help stop that controls that we can put in place in order to get around that. So uh, I think if you're a smart CIO, you'd really want to start to figure out how to embrace your, uh, your friend, the auditor, and, and use that partnership to help you out. Now, uh, let's look historically. Uh, this is a question for you, Ross. All historically, right. you have, uh, of course, you know, gone through multiple audits with multiple companies, I'm sure, and you've seen a bunch of other companies getting audited. The very fundamental of framework and or standards or guidelines or benchmarks that you have been using to do so, how have they changed? Uh, how have they morphed? in order to meet the needs of what IT used to be responsible for, what they used to do on a daily basis and for long and short term, is radically changing and has changed. So has your discipline changed as well? But you know what? Russ, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. When we okay. come back and you get a few minutes to think, and then let's, let's explore this. All right, let's do it. Sure. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. 
We live in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant-on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show. Here's Sanjo Gall. All right, welcome. So, Ross, what has changed in your discipline over the years, and has that become appropriate and or relevant, or is it relevant today based on what uh, the companies and IT demands are? Well, I think at the um, at the fifty thousand foot level, at the guideline level, things have pretty much remained the same. Yes, new technology brings new challenges, but when when the guidelines say that. For example, IT strategy has to mesh and meet with corporate strategy or organization strategy, or you have to have some type of security, or you have to do monitoring. Those are types of activities that don't change no matter what changes underneath it. So, for example, uh, we have cloud computing and mobile uh, influences within IT now. Uh, how we apply strategy and security and monitoring to those have certainly changed, but the overall guidelines haven't. And I found that professional audit organizations that, that publish the guidelines, such as ISACA and ITGI, are usually out in front of most business organizations when it comes to emerging technology. You know, they're really looking and asking the questions of their members, what's what's coming up, what's emerging, and then they tap their expert resources to develop and come out with guidelines and expectations generally ahead of business adoption. Uh, for example, cloud computing is is becoming, you know, larger and larger, uh, and these organizations are addressing those, but not all businesses are there. So the businesses that, that eventually catch up and begin using that tech, technology in earnest will find the guidelines. So um, at the 50,000-foot level, my job hasn't really changed all that much, but down in the weeds where we really do the audits and we're applying those guidelines, yes, that's changed, and, and I need to be flexible enough to, uh, to go with it and to know how to apply the guidelines. You know, so, yeah, go ahead, Walter. I was just thinking, as <clears throat> you were talking, you know, the, the tools are changing. I think also in the background, you know, a lot of IT shops are developed software under what you call the old waterfall approach requirements definition, you know, run through the various stages. Right. We're starting to see more of the, uh, what they call the agile or rapid development stuff happening now. And what you're also seeing is that development of applications is occurring outside of the IT shop. 
And but there is that need for the tie-in between whoever's developing whatever application it is and the IT shop because they're not necessarily abiding by what we would consider normal rules of the road in how you develop software. And so it is an interesting area, and I'm glad to hear Ross says, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to get ahead of this thing. But there is a tremendous amount of change going on. Um, it goes back to your 100-mile-an-hour issue. But we're seeing that departments that are frustrated with the IT shop not being able to keep up will start to do their own. And then you get into this whole issue of, well, I've extracted data from the transaction system or I've extracted data from the data warehouse and I've put it in a data mart someplace and now I'm writing applications against data in the data mart and I've not incorporated your security or any of the other rules of the road. Uh, it becomes a very scary area. And so you really need your auditors to help you identify those points of concern and recommend some activities not only you telling them what to do, but the auditor's telling you what to do. And so it's a double-barreled approach because sometimes I'll tell people what to do. They may not listen, but they might listen to the auditor. And, and Walter, you hit the nail right on the head. I, I agree that that's, that's one of my biggest challenges is just even knowing which parts of the company are taking that route uh, because they usually don't deal with, IT audits or IT controls directly most of the time, the operating areas don't, that when they, they start diving into that area, they're just out there freewheeling, and they don't necessarily tell anybody about it. So sometimes I hear about it and sometimes I don't. Yet um, corporate data, no matter where it resides, needs to be protected. And, and Walter's right. Sometimes the, those data marts get out there, and it's completely unprotected, unsecured, and, and that's a concern, and, and that's also a challenge. One of the things we've done at the university is we were very much involved in what we call data access policy. And, and again, this is an area where I think the auditor can help in developing policies that would be brought up through the senior executive staff and, and put in place so that you know you have a, something to hang your hat on. Um, but there was an interesting case of a a university that I know, I won't mention their name, but they had application developers working in one of the uh, production shops, okay, uh, outside of IT. And I thought that was interesting that they had application developers that didn't belong to central IT and they were out there in the user space, and they were given authorization to put uh, into production code changes without even notifying the IT shop. And as a consequence, the system was down more than it was up. And that's an untenable situation because the blame is going to come to the CIO. Why didn't you stop that? What did you do about it? And if you don't have some policies you can lean against and say, here's, here's steps that I've taken, you are going to be in hot water. Yeah. Now, let's, let's look at the, the concept what uh, healthcare organizations use for HIPAA. So they call... Uh, their core organization, of course, the one which is uh, in focus, but then also they need to include the business associates or business affiliates that who are in some form or fashion, whether they're physicians or nursing homes, et cetera, et cetera, we are connected to that main uh, healthcare system. 
since IT today, or rather organizations today, are not alone when they are trying to deliver IT. They are having a bunch of different vendors, maybe outsource vendor, cloud providers, mobile managed services providers, et cetera, et cetera. So as audits are to be conducted and we have to feel that our fort is secure, we cannot simply say that by doing something internally. You have to go and expand and try to include those business affiliates, and those affiliates are not very, uh, you know, they are not ready in ma- in many cases are not very cooperative when it comes to allowing other people to look under the hood so how can you call your fort secure in today's day and age ross well <laughs> you hit upon another challenge uh you're doing really well there uh, <laughs> you're you're right corporate data can get out and get to all sorts of places and, and so it audit just doesn't deal anymore with the IT organization. Um, most companies nowadays, IT is really supporting the business, and, and, and really the focus is on the business end. So part of my job is not only looking and seeing what IT is doing to secure, but what is the business side doing, uh, either contractually or access-wise, uh, to help ensure the integrity of its data, of its information. So in case of HIPAA, we'd go to our HR group and, and try to determine where that data is going, what they're doing, what are they doing to secure their data uh, in conjunction with what IT is doing. So it's, it's really quite expanded. Uh, IT is, n- is not an island by itself anymore, and it really is quite integrated to the business. So you have to look not on the IT side only, but on the business side to ensure that there, there's integrity of process and workflow, integrity of data, and security of that stuff all the way around. So, Walter, didn't you think that even, suppose you're getting your uh, state auditors come in and help basically look at what's going on. And perhaps similarly, there might be other auditors coming in other organizations. And those companies are using managed service providers, they're using outsourcing companies, they're using cloud providers, et cetera, et cetera. What, what assurance truly does it give us when they just come do something internally and walk away and say, it is a, is a signed copy, you're good? Yeah. Do you think you can sleep I, at night? I have night? this thought in my mind called shared liability. Um, we were, we did some outsourcing. We outsourced our email uh, to a third-party provider, and there's what they call the business associates agreement. And this came up in an issue over HIPAA for our hospital. And the hospital was very concerned about any sort of breach, and and uh, we wanted to make sure that the outsourcer uh, would, in fact, um, share in whatever liability that might occur should a breach happen. And so the, this is where this... I think it's a somewhat common term, these business associate agreements come up. Well, in the, in the, in the agreement, it basically said, well, our liability will be twice the uh, license cost, which doesn't come near if there's a breach. I mean, and I don't think people understand, and this is where, and Ross pointed this out, and I think you did too earlier, Sanjong, there has to be this dialogue between the, the technical people in the CIO's office and the functional folks. That, that relationship has to get tighter and tighter and tighter. And there has to be this understanding. What happens if we have a breach? If we didn't, if we did something and bypassed the rule and didn't, didn't do the extra step to document or whatever it was <clears throat> that are normally found within the kinds of things the auditor's looking at, 
what, what's the impact of that breach in terms of liability to the organization? And if you don't have your ducks in a row and, and when the, and they bring you into the courtroom and you say, well, we didn't abide by those rules because we just didn't have time, uh, you're on a sinking ship real quick. Right. And, and with, with internal parties, when you're talking about the same organization, yeah, that, that relationship needed to get tight. With third parties, uh, really what, what guides that is what's inside the contract. If you have a, a loose contract that allows for anything and, and doesn't allow necessarily for audit, uh, then you're certainly not going to get it. Uh, one of the, the critical things for us in critical areas is making sure that, that they know that, that contractually we will come in if we need to. And so those audit clauses or those business relationship clauses inside of contracts with third parties is also important. So, Ross, don't you think that if we just left that to contracts, the only people who will make money is attorneys and we will be left <laughs> holding the bag at both ends? Yeah. Well, that, that's assuming that all businesses are out to, uh, to jerk everybody else around. Uh, and I and I sort of take the opposite viewpoint. I think businesses are in yes to make money, um, but if if you're really doing your job well, then all those audit clauses don't need to come into play. But see, what you don't know enough about, you cannot measure, and what you cannot measure, you cannot improve. So when you do not have visibility in the first place, you might be having your internal IT department and your own organization working like a well-oiled machine, and you could have a third-party provider with a duct tape and shoestring, and you go praying 20 times a day thinking that something like this doesn't happen versus taking control. How much of our life would you like to have personally be in control of somebody else? If that's not the case, then why our business? Well, I, I think you need to choose your partner as well. Uh, I think if you go blindly into a relationship, you deserve what you get. Yeah. This is, yeah, I totally agree with that comment. I mean, I think the vetting of your uh, potential partner is absolutely critical. And we're getting, I mean, every day I get somebody calling me about, a, oh, we have a new data consolidation uh, organization, managed services, whatever it happens to be. And, and, again, the strength of that relationship is going to be that contract and a very well thought out contract, a very good vetting of the vendor, checking references, you know, every step you can take because you are going to be in this shared partnership and, 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 you know, you're, you're not going to be able to tell them what to do outside the parameters of the contract unless you modify the contract to include something else. So that's going to be critical. And I think this is an area that we're going to have to lean on our friends in the general counsel's area as well as the auditing folks to make sure whatever that contract is, uh, it's as well done as possible. Let's take a quick break, listeners, and uh, let's come back and look at the kind of reported improvements that you see after the audit is done. One is to say, okay, I come in, I will poke holes, and of course with a, uh, a positive attitude, and try to tell you the improvements that are to be made. People get some things done because it was mandated, and a big, thick report is created, some presentations done, and the life goes on. It's not unusual to see that the same uh, bugs and or gaps reappear in the subsequent audit reports. So what is it that can be done as part of this whole audit function so that a follow-through is also ensured and not just report creation? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
the future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. We live in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. We live in an Instant On world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit HP.com for answers. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Ross, the question here is you are invited and your your uh, you know counterparts in other companies to do the auditing and sometimes external auditors you know uh, are brought in there are big reports created presentations done and then it gathers dust and when you come in you see a status quo and or a very minimal change made to uh, whatever was reported do you think there was not enough value seen in the first place or it is just the inertia what can you point fingers on in this well the uh, you know it is you know, inside of an organization is just like anybody else. And quite often the real reasons for delaying or not doing the implementation is, is real life. And it's not any different from anybody else. You know, that we don't have the time, we don't have the resources, or we don't have the budget. And if any one of those constrains IT from taking action, then then that is real. Now, it, it then comes down to um, risk, you know, really what risk is at play to the organization or to IT or to whatever is being audited and the risk appetite. Uh, there are no guarantees, and sometimes uh, one manager's risk appetite is greater than another. So if there's a delay in implementing uh, a, a valid recommendation for improvement, then we take a look at, because in, in my organization we do follow-ups and we track the issues and, and the, the client has said, has told us, yeah, we'll do something by such and such a date. Well, on such and such a date, we go back to them and we ask them. And our audit committee is also looking at that. 
So, you know, the, the monitoring and tracking aside, the reasons for delay are, are very real. And then we have to get into a dialogue with the client, well, what is causing the delay? And then we just hash it out, and sometimes we, we ask the client to, well, let's go ahead and delay this another six months because you lost three people, and those were the three people who were going to work on this particular issue. So we understand that, and we work with our client to, to really reduce their risk uh, within whatever risk appetite they have. Um, like I said, there are no guarantees, but we uh, we try to make sure that, that what they commit to happens. Walter, do you think if anyone has been shown the mirror and they are shown specific areas where the flaws are, either what has been shown is so trivial that they don't see the value in implementing it or they just don't agree with it, or finally, their priorities are not right and they might be focusing on something which is urgent versus what's important. Yeah, I, you're right. I, I wouldn't say they consider them trivial. I just think, you know, Ross pointed out, the, the argument you often hear, oh, we don't have enough time, we don't have enough resources, you know, it's always an excuse of some type or another uh, for why things aren't getting done. And that's the role of the CIO. If these events are occurring, uh, you don't have enough staff, you don't have, that's what you're supposed to do as a CIO is to be the resource provider and to go fight for and get whatever resources you need to do the job correctly. Now, your senior manager can come back and say, well, fine, uh, I'm not going to provide those and I don't care. I don't think you're going to find too many organizations that do that. They'll try to work with you to do these things. As far as finding time, you're never going to have enough time. Uh, that, that's, that's a given. You have to make time. You have to look at what you're doing. I, I love a term called application rationalization, which is all about looking at all the things you do in an organization and saying, what of these things are aligned with our strategic initiatives and where we want to go and what we want to be? And if they're not aligned, then they're candidates for elimination. And say, these are time wasters. These are things we have to eliminate because we need to find time to do things correctly, to produce a product that meets the customer needs, and it has all the protections around it that it should. So you're saying that people are, if they are, keeping things on the side and these reports gather dust is because of them not either having their priority right or, or is it's just just the way the world works that, you know, what, what reported is no longer relevant yeah, given the, the speed issue. of change. And it's, thing, you know, things change. And, and, well, I always get that report on Monday. I never look at it, but I get it and I stick it over in the corner. Well, why are we doing that? Why are we producing that report and spending money on doing that if it's not of value? Uh, maybe there's something else we've developed that really supplants that and, and makes the, the old report not necessary. Until you take time to investigate those kinds of things, you're never going to have, you're never going to find enough resources. So, uh, I, I remember when I started portfolio management here at the university, uh, when we first went through this process, about 85 to 86 percent of everything we did was just keeping the lights on. And so I didn't have enough resources to grow the business or transform the business. And the only way I was going to get there, because we weren't going to get more money, was to eliminate some things that we were doing on the keeping the lights on side to take those resources and push them out into those areas where I needed to spend the money. And so that's all part of this process, too. Uh, as things change, you know, uh, again, I think working with an auditor to help make sure you're on track is the way to go. All right, 30 seconds. Ross, what do you think 
is your dream for the IT audit profession going forward? Where where will it improve to create more value? Well, I think there there are five things, and I'll do this very quickly. That that audit to create value needs to focus audits on identification of improvement opportunities, not just giving a laundry list. Delivering the best value for the lowest cost. Focusing on really what the key risks and issues are and understanding and embracing what's happening in IT and concluding all the changes and ensuring that there's an alignment of the audit mission and focus with stakeholder objectives and risk management priorities. Uh, Walter, 30 seconds. What do you think we can change so that IT audit is seen as a uh, long-lost brother versus a stepchild? I think more conversations like we're having today uh, more dialogue with uh, our our colleagues uh, in other institutions that are doing similar things. I, I sense, for example, organizations like SIM, uh, Society of Information Management, is a good vehicle to get this kind of dialogue going within that practice. Uh, ATIP, this is the uh, Association of Information Technology Professionals, and there are other organizations that this should come up as a topic of you know how to work better with your auditors. Uh, to make sure that we're producing a uh, good product. Thank you so much, Ross and Walter. Thank You're you. welcome. And viewers and listeners, anything that you would like to share with respect to this topic, uh, please send us to views at ciotalkradio.com. That is ciotalkradio, views at ciotalkradio.com. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog, all your talk show hosts. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Join Sunjal Gall next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific for another hour of CIO Talk Radio. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by Citrix. Offering GoToAssist, remote support made easy. CIO Talk Radio is sponsored by HP Data Center Services, Cloud Computing Services, and Workplace 360 Services. Are you ready for an instant on